Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee or red coffee and talking about writing, publishing, the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, although we don't swear a lot, so please consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are John Schmidt, Chaz Brenchley, and Karen Brenchley, and we're fortunate to be talking with Professor J.L. Torres, who writes as J.L. Torres and answers to Jose. This is episode 103, Diasporica. Senor, thank you for so much for coming on. I understand that you have a book coming, but also that you're a professor of Latinx literature. Can you talk a little bit about what is Latinx literature so we can really understand it? Well, we only have about 38 minutes or so, so I don't know if I can yeah. the entire overview because Latinx literature begins as early as the 16th century and, and the United, you know, what we now know as the United States. But it really is, is the literature written by descendants of people in, you know, from Latin American, uh, Latin American ancestry, uh, residing in the U.S. And it has various topics and it covers many different areas and genres, obviously. But it's, it's pretty much the experience of living here in the United States with that, that background. So are there, is there like one or two or more books that you would recommend as kind of the er books, you know, that everyone should read? Well, you know, I always begin my course in Latinx literature with, you know, La Cronica, uh, which is a book that was written something 15, published in the 1500s. And it's uh, the account, right? La Relacion, actually. Uh, it's, it's not really a chronicle, but it's an early manuscript book written by Cabeza de Vaca. It was a you know, accident. Uh, it's the first, one of the first texts that really described the, the flora and the fauna of, of what is now America. He went from Florida all the way into what now is Texas and, and then finally into Mexico. So that I would definitely recommend that because uh, I always ask my students, you know, how is, is this book reflective of the f- literature that we're going to be reading? What, what, do you, what, what, what themes are here that we still will find, you think, in the present and, and there's several. There's also a lot of the books that came out of the Chicano Renaissance, uh, something like uh, Anaya's uh, Bless Me Ultima, what I think a lot of people know. Also, Tomas Rivera's book, And the Earth Did Not Devour Him, which won the first Quinto Sol Prize, all the way up to, you know, the books that, that have been published recently by so many. I mean, when I got into Latinx literature, I could pretty much catch up what was going on, you know, in the year. Yeah. And now I can't. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's the same with science fiction. It's the same with any genre. It's genre, but more than that. I mean, Latinx is not a genre. It's, yeah. But yeah, you see, you see, it starts off contained and containable. Um, and when I, when I was a kid growing up in Oxford, it was still possible just about, you had, you'd have to work at it, but it was still just about possible to have read everything published uh, as science fiction. Now it would be, you know, it's completely out of the question because things expand in a sort of cake slice way as I'm demonstrating with my hands. Well, I, I suppose there are subgenres. I mean, there, there are Latinx stories that focus on, you know, one thing and another mm. thing and so on. Are there, what are, what would you consider the important ones or the most interesting ones of those? Of, of you mean genres like science fiction? You're saying, or no? Or? I mean subgenres of Latinx. Oh, of, you know, of Latinx. Well, yeah, 
Latinx literature deals a lot with identity and, and that in itself, there's so many books that deal with issues of, of, of identity. For instance, uh, Pocho, which is, was written in 1960s or so, which is, uh, Pocho is a derogatory term for, for assimilated Mexicans. Mm-hmm. And that's also one of the seminal texts. Then there's issues that deal with, with you know, the land, right? Like uh, under Jesus's uh, feet, I think, which is, I think, you know, Montes, I believe. Books that deal with, you know, workers, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's obviously working class, sort of the working class yeah. ethics. There's so much. I mean, I, I really, it's very difficult to come up and with texts sure. that are, and right now, you know, probably later on, I'll go, oh, I should have said this one. Yes. Um, yeah, of course. So... Do, are, are most of these texts written in Spanish and then translated into into English, or are, are, are Latinx writers writing straight into English? There were, for instance, the book that I mentioned before, Tomas Rivera's book, which rather the word that I want was named after Tomas Rivera. Oh, nice. And, yeah, Tomas, Tomas Rivera. And he wrote that book in Spanish and then was later on translated. And right. I think some of the earlier maybe of the, the Chicano Renaissance, which was around the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. some, somewhere. But I would say like 95% or more, maybe even closer to 100, the books that are written today are written in English because yeah. these are people who are living, grew yeah. up in, in America. And they, yeah, they're Americans. Sure. Yeah, they're Americans. And, and they're, in fact, you know, Latinx literature really is part of American literature. Really. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. Just like African-American literature. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, uh, they mostly do write. There's some writers still that do write in both, but I think that's uh, a bit rare now. Right. A slight change, rather than talking about genres within Latinx, what about, obviously there are many different Latin cultures that someone can come to the United States from. There are even some, uh, well, actually, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, there are even some extant Latin cultures. So, for instance, Chicano, Californica, you know, the people who were here before the United States was, and the same in, in uh, most of the Southwest had a had a culture before the U.S. showed up. But is is there a way of looking at Latinx literature by that sort of thing? Is there differences between the different, for want of a better word, mother cultures? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's, I'm glad you brought that point up because it's something I also try to impress on my students that, you know, Latinx is now the most modern current term for umbrella term for all these communities. Uh, but the, I always tell them that, yes, we, we are very, very different. I mean, uh, Mexican Americans, Puerto Ricans, the you know, Cubans, Dominicans, and on and on and on, right? The main three you know, populations are Mexican Americans, obviously. Then I see Puerto Ricans, we're like eight million, mm-hmm. and then after that, uh, maybe Cubans, and then there's an increasing number of South Americans, Salvadorans, uh, send, you know, like uh, people from Guatemala, etc. And also people like Hector Tobal, who's I think, if I'm mistaken, and I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but I think he's Salvadoran or Guatemala. No, he's Guatemalan. So there's also writers coming from those communities now are, are really, you know, beginning to produce more and more. So there is a difference between them, but also at the same time, I like to say that we do have some, you know, th- you know, similarities and some affinities. I always tell you know, because I am bilingual, I can go to, you know, uh, Mexico. I can go to any one of those countries in Latin America, and get by. Yeah. Um. Do you, if you read a Latinx text blind, do you think you'd be able to place? its author within one of those subcultures? Uh, it's probably harder in, if they're writing in English, right? 
if they're running yeah. in Spanish, I can tell you probably that yeah. one might be Argentinian, one might be, you know, and by the way, I do, I do read Latin American literature also. That's sort of one of the, the, you know, influences in my, in my, in my own writing. Oh, sure. Uh, so, but it's hard if everybody's writing English, right? Yeah. Unless, unless they, they write something uh, in terms of slang, because right. uh, what we call, you know, Chicano slang, what's called calo, is very different than Spanish, mm -hmm. Spanish or Puerto Rican speak. Mm -hmm. Right. So if they, if I'm reading something and I and if I if I did not know that the writer were you know was Puerto Rican yeah. or Mexican and I'm reading just you give me a passage and there's some dialogue and they're like okay okay this is a Mexican American writer right. so yeah you can tell the difference yeah one of the things you had mentioned is that uh, it's fascinating when you say there's eight million people because Puerto Rico is not that big a place but mm -hmm. I'm not I, I totally believe you it kind of feels like other islands where we have been blessed with so many people from Ireland or so many people from other islands. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of and the influence of your writing of what you call, and can you define it first, please, the diasporica? Okay. All right. So first of all, let me just make clear that the, those 8 million people do not live all in Puerto Rico. Actually, they, I assume more, they mostly lived in the United States that you mentioned. That's exactly, but you know, I put them all together because we're all Puerto Ricans, right? Mm. But but the, the actually because of the diaspora, more there are more uh, Puerto Ricans now living in the United States, as you as you rightly say, uh, than in Puerto Rico. And now with the the latest diaspora wave, uh, because of Maria, which was devastating, and yeah. also the earthquakes that we've been getting recently, and of course the instability. Uh, of the economy, there are many, many Puerto Ricans now in the last 10 years or so that have moved to the states, mainly like Florida. But Puerto Ricans live in all 50 states of the United States. Wow. You know, including Alaska, which to, to me just <laughs> blows my yes. mind. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I would, uh, so anyway, that that uh, is, the, is the situation. And, and when it comes to your, uh, the second part of your question, John, I think, and, and I don't know if you might have read, I, I I just wrote guest blog and Mindy McGuinness's writer, writer, pants on fire. And that, that goes into that a lot. So I would definitely, and your listeners, if they want to, they can go to that and, and get a better sense of, you know, a more coherent probably uh, <laughs> idea of what, I, what I'm, I'm trying to get at. But the diaspora for me, and personally, I can only speak, you know, in my own experience, just absolutely has shaped that. It shaped my whole experience because I don't, I left very early when I was six years old. I come to the United States, uh, or they rather, my mother drags me for you know for her reasons and you know, personal, yeah. you know, uh, and there's a whole family history there, and so I grow up pretty much in the United States, you know, almost forgetting all my early Spanish, having to eventually pick it up again in college actually, and so all my experiences are from that perspective, and then about later on in my life, I go back to Puerto Rico for a good, another good chunk, like maybe 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, two formative periods, really. One when I was sort of going, getting into my in my career, and in the first formative years, you know, growing up, you know, and, and being a teenager in the United States, you know, and your parents speaking to you in Spanish and you speaking to them in English, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing, which was really weird, you know. But but uh, they sort of understood you because, but they would you know speak to you in Spanish. So and it it absolutely also drives my writing and everything I do because I, I write. What I know, which is you know Puerto Rican experience here in the U.S., so yeah, it's it's. Um, I don't know if, I mean, just 
to answer your question very quickly, yes, it does. It absolutely has it has absolutely influenced uh, the way I look at the world. And because I don't believe, I don't, be, I don't feel I belong here in the U.S. And I don't really believe I belong in Puerto Rico. Because when I went back, I had the very strange experience of Puerto Ricans there, like saying, you know, you're not from here, really. But I said, <laughs> but I was born here. <laughs> and then they go, okay, anyway. but I said, you're a New York Rican, you know, yeah. which is, you're really a New York Rican. Yeah. Not really, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and then of course I come here and people <laughs> don't, don't, you know, like where are you from? You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's very hard to be in the in between and kind of. Does does your does your Spanish have a Puerto Rican accent? Oh well, you know, the, you asked me that if I, if you if you had really knew like language uh, like Spanish dialects, <laughs> you wouldn't even have a doubt. Yeah, it's pretty Puerto Rican. Okay. Cool. Yes, yeah, it's, it's also cool. probably New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Too, because um, well, you know, when I was going back, I used to go go back to Puerto Rico to visit my family with them, whatever, and and they would call me things like uh, Piti Yankee, which is like a little Yankee. Mm-hmm. They would call me Gringo. <laughs> they would call me all these things, you know. And of course, they would make fun of my Spanish. So it was uh, it was kind of rough, man. <laughs> growing up, oh, no, I'm sorry. And these, two, and these two worlds, you know, trying to fit in one or the other, and yeah. and not fitting you, in either one. Do you, Do you think that's what made you a writer? That you I, have these two separate worlds to juggle together and, and writing is a way to do that. I, I think you have something there. I really, first of all, learning another language, I was absolutely, you know, immersed in learning English. And mm. at six years old, it's truly true what they say, you're a sponge. I'm picking this language up, which I know is different from what I was, you know, used to hearing. And I was fascinated by the sounds. I was fascinated by by all the things that that English, you know, was doing to me, you know, when I when I'm hearing it, uh, so I, I I would I would think so. I think if you're a person coming learning a language like that, you become more fascinated by language. You become more attuned to it than perhaps if you just you know grew up listening to it all the time, right? So, do you yeah. think? Do you think the the that experience? I mean, how did that experience affect your writing? Well, the the kinds of experiences I've had, the mm-hmm. idea of of you know the alienation, the kind of isolation that you feel constantly, mm-hmm. telling stories that I know are very close to me that other people aren't aware of. Because if you're a Puerto Rican in New York, your experience in your life is different than yeah. other people, obviously. And so I had a lot of material that I would I would like sometimes tell stories of things that happened in my family and you know like friends would go wow really I mean because they don't know I mean I mean it's a, it's a different kind of of experience whether it's working you know working class but working class with a kind of Puerto Rican you know when you mm-hmm. don't know like my mother know the span know you know English so she has to navigate you know the work area and all all, all things from that perspective of not knowing English really well right. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was an experience that I lived firsthand, watching her struggle that way. Sometimes I would be her translator, you know, for different things. You know, just also when you are another, right, the, the kinds of, of, you know, microaggressions that, that you confront, yeah. you know, yeah. like, like nobody else, you know, except if you are a person who is other, right? But for instance, in my case, so I go to college and people are singing, you know, uh, you know, West Side Story songs, you know, oh, I, you know th- that kind of thing, which it does not happen, you know, to other groups, right? So that's definitely my experience of dealing with people, you know. So to this day, I hate West Side Story. 
<laughs> well, the, the thing is, now I will I, tell you, I will tell you, I, I grew up in Idaho, which is, is about as white as you can get. And yeah. um, we actually did West Side Story. And that's pretty much the only experience of Puerto Ricans that anyone's had there. <laughs> I mean, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. But, yeah, yeah. you know, everyone had white skin. Well, now they can do some of the Lima. Well, Lima Manuel is Puerto Rican, and in the Heights is actually sort of more Dominican, I think, based, which is interesting. But there's other plays now, you know, that, that they yes. can get. You know, they, well, now, yeah, 50 years later. But. Yeah. So, so tell us about your um, book of short stories. Yes. Uh, I, I, well, uh, it's called Migrations, and, and, and the title itself, right, tells you an, a lot about sort of the idea of, of the collection. Because I am a diasporican, I'm a Puerto Rican from a diaspora, one type of diaspora, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our people have been leaving the islands, the islands, I like to say islands because it's not, we're really an archipelago, we're not one island. Mm-hmm. And we've been living the islands, you know, for at least in the 20th century, many, many times in many different waves, some waves, you know, spike higher than others. So it's it's uh, it's 11 stories thematically dealing with moments in Puerto Rican you know history that I wanted to sort of select and pick and see what my character or you know my main character will go through through that experience whether it's the sterilization of Puerto Rican women in the 50s and 60s whether it's uh, descendants of Puerto Ricans that left in 1898 because it was another a horrible hurricane there that devastated the complete sugar cane industry, which was the only industry. That had. Yeah. And then they had to pick up and go to Hawaii without really knowing where Hawaii was. Yeah. And now there is actually a big community of Puerto Ricans there, and they call themselves Buriquis, <laughs> which is, uh, it's another kind of uh, another way of saying Boricua, which is a, the indigenous word uh, oh, okay. for us. So if you say to somebody, uh, you know, just say Boricua, you know, that means I'm, I'm Puerto Rican because, you know, I, I am sort of uh, identifying with those indigenous roots, right, which are the native, the first peoples in, in the island. Yeah. And so they call themselves Boriques, Boriques, which I think is very fascinating. So it's a real community there. And, and so I wanted to write a story about that. So I, I just sort of began in the now. And I went a little back in that history. So the whole collection deals in certain different time periods. I have a, an excerpt from my novella in it, and I put it as a short story about Roberto Clemente. Roberto Clemente is, a, if you are into baseball, uh, superstar. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, you know, who died, you know, on a humanitarian trip to the Managua earthquake to help mm-hmm. people. On December 31st, he died. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's basically... Those moments and kind of what, how they affected these everyday people. And I was, you know, able to get 11 stories that sort of have that. And I, they're all linking in different ways. Yeah. So, and then the last story uh, is you know, my main character is named Macho the Dwarf. And, and you know, huh. it's just allegory of Puerto Rican history where, you know, Macho's name is Pedro Rico, you know, so there you go. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know and, I, and I take it from there. So uh, that's that's basically basically it, yeah. So this your book of short stories. I mean, you had a book of poetry out there. You actually gave the name of it a moment ago, and right. it, you already had a uh, a novel. You're very crushed. Your book right. of short stories is available when? Uh, the new one is is just it just got released uh, yesterday. Yay! And what's happy it? book day? Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really it's it's great, right? It's just yeah. like, 
It feels like you're having a baby, right? I know, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like a baby. It's just born now. And it's just like, let's see, let's see how far it goes. But yeah. So what's, it, what's it called? What's the title? Migrations. 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 Just Migrations. came out today. Okay. Yeah. And by the oh. way, uh, the I have the the epigraph is uh is from Hernandez uh Cruz uh, who's a fantastic poet, and he it's something uh it's uh my body is the story of my body is migrations or something along those lines. Nice. Oh, nice, yeah. yeah. That is so, that incorporates all everything, right? So in a yeah. way, you know, migrations is another way of saying stories. Mm, totally. Because, right. Every every person's migration. Is is a unique story. Yeah, um, they, they say they say that there are two stories. A man goes on a journey, or a stranger comes to town, and obviously both of those are migrations. But both of them are also the same story, just from a different perspective. I agree. I agree. So my, my novel is about a Puerto Rican, New Rican that goes back to the island. Uh huh. So it's a reverse migration. It's yeah. the only. It's the only, you know, fictional a book that deals with that, that phenomenon going back. And, uh, and that's my life too. Cause I actually went back as an adult, you know, and yes. I, had to, I had to face all these issues and it was again, really, you know, when they say you can't go back home, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, man. yeah. You're not the same man and it's not the same home to quote. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, while we're celebrating, and I realize this is, uh, I, I just want to spread the happiness. I understand there are other new book days coming. Chaz, you have one in Karen. You have a new story day. Can you spend a moment and tell us about that? Sure. Um, I mean, I don't want to take away from Jose, but I have a, I have a, a short story collection. I love, actually, I love this. This makes me very happy because it's called Everything in All the Wrong Order, colon. The best of Chaz Brenchley. I have a best of book coming. And I, I just love that because when I was, you know, when I was a baby writer, when I was reading more than I was writing, my my heroes, particularly in science fiction and fantasy, were having best of collections published. And and it's something that I used to pine for. One day there will be a best of Chaz, I thought. And and lo, there is going to be a best of Chaz, and I'm I'm really thrilled about this. And it's like sort of thirty years worth of stories. It's I mean it will be out at the end of August in a beautiful signed limited hardback edition and an ebook. Yeah. So, congratulations. Thank you. Yes, and and I have a and I have a story coming out in the new Parsec magazine that's edited by Ian Waits. It's a fantasy story called A Bayesian Theory of Wishes. And it's a Black Lives Black Lives Matter story. <laughs> and and I want you all to rush out and buy the um, electronic magazine in November and read the story. Sounds good. So let's go back for just a second. Migrations. Yes. By JL Torres. Where do you want us to buy this from? We're gonna put links in, but you know, it's it's selling in all the pretty much all the booksellers. But if you really want to support independent, you know, yes. books, then definitely uh, do LARB, right? The uh, Los Angeles Review of Books. books. Oh, okay. So okay. LARB, LARB Books, uh, check their website and yep. you can order from them. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> but I guarantee you, we have a lot more to talk about. So 
Professor, at this point, we're going to put links to all the stories and the interesting things, and especially the book Migrations, on the website, along with this podcast, the website being www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find writersdrinkingcoffee.com on Facebook or Twitter. We answer email. We respond to tweets. You have been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is Dave Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Enberg. You can hear more from Michael Enberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsors today are The Sign of the Debauch Sloth, who says, Red coffee is the best coffee. And Anodyne Boring, when you really want boring, boring. Mm. Keep writing, and hey, thanks for listening.